All right, well, if you'd like to uh, open your Bibles, we're going to turn to Romans, and we're going to turn to Romans 8. And we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17, uh, but our focus in the sermon will be on verse 17. So the sermon's on Romans eight seventeen, but we'll begin reading in verse 12. So Romans 8, starting in verse 12 through verse 17. This is the word of our God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Since the reading of the Lord's word this morning, let's pray and ask him to bless it to us uh, this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you provide it for us, free of charge. We thank you that we get to come before you and hear it, hear it preached and proclaimed, that we get to read it, and that we get to be blessed by it. Lord, we pray that your spirit would work through uh, this passage tonight, that you would and you would drive all of us back to what is true about who we are and about what you are doing in our lives, and that we would cling to Christ all the more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my, uh, my very first week uh, that I was about to go to college, um, there's this whole kind of initiation sort of thing where you go off with a bunch of freshmen, you go out into the woods, and you do some camping for a little bit, a little bit um, it was horrible, and I hated it, and it ruined camping forever for me. Um, I got bit by like 7,000 billion mosquitoes, I think, and my ankles swelled up to like twice their size. I, it was horrible. Um, that's not the point. The point was, basically, one of the things that they wanted to push home was, why are you here? Right? Why are you at this college? And this was a Christian college, and so one of the things they did was, you know, because they love us, they put us out in the woods for like seven hours by ourselves, um, you just, they leave you somewhere with a Bible, a book, and a notebook for like six hours and some questions to answer. And the first question um, that they gave us was, who are you? Who are you? And so after, you know, slapping about 40 mosquitoes, I wrote, I am a child of God. I couldn't think of, you know, anything that described me more than that statement. Not because I was trying to be all theological and, you know, pious, but because that's who I am. And it's simple, but it is a deep truth that as children, there's so much that we could unpack about. What does that mean that we're children? How does that affect how we view the Lord? How does that affect our lives? These are important questions that are not theological questions that are out there. These are questions that we ask ourselves about who are we? Who is God? What's happening in my life? And these are the questions that are on Paul's mind as he uh, writes these words. So let's see what Paul says in verse 17. The first question that we have, right? So if we are children of God, then how did we become children of God? How does that happen? 
Before we can even begin to accept what Paul says is true about us, we need to understand how we got here. So we read verse 14 um, for context, and there Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In other words, becoming a child of God means God initiates. You're not the one who initiates becoming God's child. God is the one who takes that initiative, who takes that first step. And then Paul says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And if it's something you receive, that means someone gave it. That means it's a gift. So God initiates, and God gives it as a gift. Notice that Paul doesn't say, right, you worked really hard, and God said, good job, I'm going to make you my son. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, well, you have all these really good things about you, and God said, well, I want that person on my team because they have all these gifts that I need, I want to take advantage of. That's not what Paul says. And that's what we would expect if we were thinking of this in a worldly way, because that's what adoption was about. Adoption was not for the benefit of the child. It was for the benefit of the adopter. Because the adopter was the one who was bringing someone into the family in order to make it, take advantage of this person's gifts. Often, Roman emperors or uh, other people in, in power would adopt someone to be their future heir. That they are looking for someone who's going to be strong and a good leader, someone they can shape and mold, so that when they die, they have someone that they can leave the family in good hands. Right? You adopt for your advantage, not for theirs. But what Paul is saying here is that it's the other way around. Because God doesn't need someone to take over for him. Right? He doesn't need to bring people into his, his family so that he can have something more than he already has. We don't add anything to God's glory or to his power, or to his legacy. We take away, if anything, we would be a net negative for God. But the Lord doesn't adopt for himself. He freely adopts broken and sinful people as his children, as an act of love, and an act of grace. And so when we come to verse 17, we're not coming to it thinking, well, here's all the things that I've earned. We're coming to it thinking, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be a child of God, and yet here I am. And this means that no longer are you an outsider. No longer are you a stranger to God. But if you are a child of God, then you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And if the Lord is truly your Father, that means things for you and your life. So why does this matter? Verse 17, And if you are children, which you are, then you are heirs. And we say, wonderful. That sounds great. Uh, one question, what's an heir? And thank you for asking that. That's a good question. An heir is a child who inherits or receives the family fortune. Right? This is 
not something earned. This is something that is passed down to, ch- to children. And Paul describes it in two different ways. That there's this inheritance that because you are a child, this belongs to you. And he talks about it in two ways. First, he says, we are heirs of God and we're fellow heirs with Christ. There's several different ways we can understand being heirs of God. But I think that means that we inherit all the promises that God has ever made to his people. So when we read the Old Testament, this is not distant ancient history that doesn't apply to us anymore. We are the inheritors of those promises. That the promises that God made to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to Israel, to David, those all belong to you. And that God promises that he will keep those promises for you because you are his child. You are part of his family. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? I came onto the scene some 2,000 years later. Right? That doesn't seem fair, maybe, of God to just kind of lump you in. But think of the parable that Jesus taught about the landowner. Remember this one, who hired some guys to, to harvest his fields in the morning. He promised them uh, a denarius, and then he hired a few more guys in the afternoon, promised them a denarius, and then a few more guys in the evening. And he promised them a denarius. They all received the same thing, even though some only worked for a couple hours and some worked for the whole day. That's what it means to be an heir of God. That when you are brought into the family, you receive all of it. Whether you worked an hour or the entire day. Whether you've been a Christian since you were born or whether you've been a Christian for a few hours. It doesn't matter. You are an heir. And so you receive the entire inheritance. But Paul also says that we're co-heirs with Christ, uh, which means that not only do we inherit every promise that God has ever made, as if that weren't enough, we are co-heirs with Christ, which means we also inherit everything that Christ earned. Everything that Jesus earned in his whole life, in his death, and in his resurrection, you receive. How, how are we supposed to understand the breadth and the depth of that? I don't know. But the first thing that we think about is that Jesus died, but yet he rose from the grave. At the very minimum, what we receive from being co-heirs with Christ is we receive resurrection and eternal life. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he also received a crown of glory. He received an imperishable, incorruptible body. He received eternal life. He received uh, honor. His enemies were placed uh, on his footstool. All of these things we get to share in. Not because we're the ones who went and did the work, but because we are co-heirs with Christ. That as part of his family, he brings us into everything that he has done and shares it freely. 
as you would share with your family when you received something wonderful. And that just sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? There's, there's got to be a catch in here somewhere. Well, we can't just get everything for free. And technically, yes, but Paul does say in verse 17, right, we're heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him. And our first instinct, right, is that I knew it. There's a catch. See, Paul can't hide that fine print from me. I'm too smart. Right? We, we're co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. We think there's the condition. There's the, there's the thing that we have to do. There's the catch. But I think we need to back up a step and realize that Paul is saying, what he's saying has more the force of, you are fellow heirs with Christ, provided you co-suffer with him. In other words, he's not saying that this is what you do to earn the inheritance. He's saying that suffering is not separate from Christ. The suffering of this life is not separate from Christ. But everything that you suffer in this life is part of your suffering with Jesus. And it is the path to that inheritance. We co-suffer with him. It's, it's not a chronological thing, right? We're not going to go back in time and suffer on the cross with Jesus. It's not that our sufferings happen at the same exact moment. But what Paul is saying is that as we share in Christ's inheritance, we also share in his sufferings. And why is that? The reason is because if we want to be like Jesus, we need to go through the same sufferings that Jesus went through. Because the only way to glory, the only way to be resurrected, is to first die. And as you've probably heard in other sermons or at other points, at other times of your life, this suffering is not an accident. Because that's what we think. Right? When we suffer in our lives, what's our first thought? Well, God doesn't love me. Or, well, God messed up. Or, well, why does God want me to, to be in pain? But the reality is that we suffer because the Lord wants us to have the inheritance. Because he knows this is the path to that inheritance. And suffering is not a mistake. Suffering is not evidence that God hates you. Suffering is actually evidence that he loves you. And that he has better things prepared for you than you even understand. And this is the whole spirit of Psalm 73, is, is a Christian, a believer in God's promises, wrestling with the fact that his life is harder than the unbeliever's. Because he looks at the unbelievers and he sees how they have wonderful lives. They have everything that they could ever want. Their eyes are bulging out of fat because they eat McDonald's all the time or something. I don't know. But they are, they are full, right? They have everything that they could ever want. And he feels like he has nothing. He's suffering and having a hard life. What's going on, God? 
In that psalm, the psalmist changes his entire tune when he comes into God's sanctuary. Because it's there that he sees where the pathways lead. The path of comfort and having everything you want in this life doesn't actually lead to a good place. It leads to death and to destruction. The pathway to life, to resurrection, is a pathway of death and suffering now, but glory later. And that's hard. It's hard to accept because we don't always see what the Lord is doing. And this may mean that we have to struggle with things that we don't understand. It may mean struggling with health issues. For others, it may be scars that will never heal. For others, it will be a constant struggle with sin and temptation and failure. But none of these things disqualify you from walking the Christian life. None of these things disqualify you from the inheritance that God has promised. It's the opposite. These are evidences that you are on that path. The Lord is treating you like a child because he's treating you like how he treated Jesus. And that is the life that the Lord calls us to live. Not one of comfort, not one of security, not one of having everything. God calls us to a life of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. Because we know that the outcome will be to be like Jesus. Glorified, perfect, and no longer suffering. Because that's how, that's where we see Jesus now. He's not with us, and yet he is among us. He sent his spirit to be our friend and our comforter as we walk through the sufferings. And that's why James says to count suffering joy. Because as you co-suffer with Christ now, you will be co-glorified with him too. Let's give thanks to God with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given your son for us. Lord, it is hard to look at this life and to see how how difficult it is for us and yet how easy it seems for the unbelievers. And yet, Lord, we know that you have a purpose for us, that the suffering is not an accident, but you are using it to draw us closer to you so that we might become more like Jesus. Lord, help us to cling to this, to keep our eyes on you, especially when we don't understand what's going on or why we're suffering. Lord, help us to trust you. And Lord Jesus, come quickly so that we may rejoice with you and that we may be made like you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.